Hello, this is Stephen Yoder with episode four of Abbreviated Bios. Today's episode is on one of the great might-have-been people in American history. He was the first left-handed president. He was the only ordained minister ever elected president. He was also the only abolitionist ever elected. His life was cut short by uh, the coordination of an assassin and one of the worst cases of medical malpractice in American history. His name was James Abram Garfield, and he was born on November 19, 1831 in Orange Township, Ohio, to Abram and Eliza Garfield. After his father died less than two years later, Abram grew up in extreme poverty. In later years, he would say, let us never praise poverty, for a child at least. Eliza wanted her son to continue his education, but James left home at age 16 to work on the Ohio and Erie Canal. He would gain the nickname Boatman Jim. This led to the most important event of his life. One night, as he worked alone on the canal boat, he fell off. Most people didn't know how to swim it back at that time, and he thrashed around in the water and yelled, but everyone was fast asleep. He managed to catch hold of a rope hanging from the boat. He pulled himself up and found that the rope was not tied to anything. It was caught on a crack on the deck. Providence alone could have saved my life, he said. Due to this incident, James decided that God had saved him for a purpose, and he decided to go back to school. Once he got there, he found out he was pretty brilliant. In 1851, he began attending the Western Reserve Eclectic Institute. By his sophomore year, he was taking classes and teaching as an assistant professor. He transferred to Williams College and graduated in 1856 and became a lawyer. Western Reserve then hired him to be the college's president. In 1858, Garfield married Lucretia Rudolph, whom he had met in high school. Their marriage struggled to survive for many years, but by the 1870s, it was solid. They would have five children who lived to adulthood. When the Civil War broke out, Garfield organized a regiment in Ohio. He became a hero when he defended Kentucky from a much larger Confederate force. He was promoted to major general after his heroic actions during the Battle of Chickamauga in 1863. Meanwhile, he was nominated for the House of Representatives in 1862. Without campaigning, he was elected. He then left the army at Lincoln's request to serve in the House of Representatives. Lincoln told him he needed every vote he could get. As an abolitionist, he began to work in Congress to get freed slaves the right to vote. Garford was also a lawyer who defended civilians who actually had helped Confederates in the war. He is part of the case Ex Part Milligan, which went to the Supreme Court. A solid Christian, James belonged to the Disciples of Christ Church and became an ordained minister, teaching and sometimes preaching. In 1880, Garfield, who was running for the Senate, came to the Republican conventions to make a nominating speech for James Sherman. The party, the Republican Party, was divided on presidential candidates. No one seemed to be inspiring. Then Garfield stood up to make his speech nominating Secretary of the Treasury Sherman. He spoke of the destiny of the Republic, and soon people were chanting, We want Garfield! 
After the speech, he discouraged anyone wanting to nominate him. The convention voted ballot after ballot with no one getting a majority. As time went on, states began to switch their votes to Garfield. Garfield was finally nominated on the 36th ballot. So he was nominated for the presidency, an office he was not even there to seek. In the general election, Garfield squeaked out a victory when he won the state of New York. As the time came near for his inauguration, Garfield resigned as a minister of his church saying, I resign the highest office in the land to become president of the United States. Garfield's one accomplishment as president was in establishing the president's power to nominate his own man to executive offices over senatorial privilege. In this case, he was opposed by Roscoe Conkling, a powerful Republican leader. On July 2nd, after three months in office, Garfield entered the train station uh, in Washington, D.C. to travel to New England. Charles Guiteau was an obviously mentally ill man who had been turned down by Garfield for a post as minister to Great Britain. He believed God was telling him to kill Garfield to make Chester Arthur president. When Garfield passed him at the train station, he fired two shots into Garfield, one hitting his arm and the other going into Garfield's back. Garfield lay on the floor of the train station until a doctor showed up. The doctor examined him and then stuck his unwashed finger into the back wound to feel for the bullet. When Garfield was taken to the White House, the president's physician began to probe the wound with unsterilized instruments. Now, this was 16 years after Joseph Lister had proven that cleaning hands and instruments would reduce infections, but many American doctors refused to change their ways. Garfield's doctors introduced an infection that would ultimately kill him over the next three months. Garfield probably would have lived if they had just cleaned the wound and bandaged it. The bullet had hit no major organs, miraculously. But over the next three months, the White House doctor continued to probe for the bullet. The infection took hold and Garfield could not hold down any food. He would lose over 100 pounds uh, during his sickness. Garfield underwent great torment until he finally died on September 19, 1881. The autopsy showed that the bullet was nowhere near where the doctors were probing and that Garfield's body was riddled with infection. Garfield is the great what if of American presidency. In his inaugural, he had stated that blacks deserve the generous encouragement of all good men. So far as my authority can lawfully extend, they shall enjoy the full and equal protection of the Constitution and the laws. How might America have been different if he had been able to carry out his plans? Much of the biographical information in this episode comes from Candace Millard's excellent Destiny of the Republic and Kenneth Ackerman's Dark Horse. Please share this episode if it has been illuminating to you.